Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Mr. Ernie Jarvis, Vice Chairman of Savills North America, and I have the, the honor of calling Ernie my friend and also my mentor. So I hope you'll find this conversation as enjoyable as I did. So without any further delay, here he is, Mr. Ernie Jarvis. Welcome to this episode of the podcast, where today we're joined by Mr. Ernie Jarvis, Vice Chairman of Savills North America. Ernie is a distinguished leader in the commercial real estate world. His career spans almost three decades in commercial real estate. Uh, he has an extensive network of top business and industry leaders, most specifically in the greater DC area. Really excited to have Ernie on, on the show. I've heard him speak. I've had plenty of conversations with him and he has such valuable insights. So I'm happy to, to share this conversation with our listeners. So, so Ernie, welcome. Well, thank you, Dustin. Uh, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I, I think where I would like to start and have our listeners experience is talk a little bit about your introduction to commercial real estate and where you got started. Sure. In my junior year uh, at Howard University, I did an internship in the accounting department at IBM. And I noted very quickly that that's not what I wanted to do with my career path. Um, accounting is a, a wonderful uh, pursuit and a wonderful career, but I wanted to be more market facing. And so I got a job as a real estate appraiser and I started to appraise multifamily houses, but it got me out and about in the city. So I learned the geography, I learned the neighborhoods, and I learned at a very early age, the different classes of all types of real estate. So that's where I initially started. And so when you were in, you were in IBM and you're realizing this about because your own personality and your own likes and dislike, was there something specific about that experience that, or a moment that you were like, you know, this isn't for me? Yeah, it was interesting because they had a full floor uh, in the suburbs of Washington and uh, the professionals were in a cubicle environment. And there was one manager at the end of the, uh, the corridor and all of the professionals at IBM were trying to be or aspiring to be that one manager. And I didn't think that that was the right path for me. And so I couldn't be uh, more happy uh, that I found commercial real estate in the real estate industry in general. Uh, and so after that particular uh, experience, I started to work for, again, the real estate appraiser, learn the economics of a real estate transaction. And those skills are something that I use today. So that's really how I got started. How did you find that opportunity? Like, was there somebody specific that you reached out to or like, where did you see that opportunity? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I was at a cocktail party uh, and um, a, a guy I was talking to told me about the real estate industry. And I said, that's very interesting because that's market facing. It gets me out of the office. It, it, it allows me to understand or learn the city in all quadrants of the city. And that expanded to all areas of the region. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I started to work part-time for him. And uh, it was really a great opportunity because it checked all of those boxes for me. If you do well in the industry, you can do really well. But also, it was a great introduction to real estate finance, real estate economics, uh, market trends, um, rents, cap rates, IRRs. 
So it was like going to a graduate school level program, but I'm earning uh, while I'm learning. Did you have any exposure to commercial real estate at all prior to that uh, in college or, or previous? I really didn't. I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I had high energy and high ambition. Uh, and so I, I was looking for the right thing that fit. And so I have two kids in college right now, and I talk to a lot of their friends. And I don't think that you have to have uh, this great epiphany when you're, you're, when you're in your early 20s that you know exactly what you want to do. Uh, but I stumbled in commercial real estate or in the real estate industry, um, and I never looked back. So my, my path was, you know, my grandmother used to say that you should put yourself in front of things. And mm. I put myself in front of real estate. I took the job. I think I made $5 an hour doing, you know, the, the, the grunt work and Xeroxing things, but I also learned about comparables and other stuff. So uh, that was really a, a great experience for me at a young part, uh, early part of my career. And so as you're, as you're starting out and you, know, you dip your, well, actually you didn't tip, dip your toe in, you kind of jumped in. And you're swimming around and you're like, okay, this is for me. Was there anything early on that you saw as a stumbling block or an obstacle? Or like, oh, this is harder than I thought. Um, that's a great question. No, I didn't. In fact, I rather enjoyed it. Uh, and, and I was learning a lot. I was like a sponge and I was just taking it all in. And, and the more I learned about the industry, the more I became fascinated by it. And the more I became committed to making it a career. I went from real estate appraisal to brokerage to a, a local firm named Barnes Morris Pardo. I had a friend of my father's who was a boating friend of his, and he uh, had a, a, a big boat and I'm, I love boats. And so I asked him, what, is, what do you do for a living? And he told me that he leased downtown commercial real estate. And I told him what my background is. And he said, this that's actually a good background for brokerage because you sort of understand the lingo and understand the language. He helped me get uh, an interview at a number of downtown firms. And I started at Barnes Morris. Uh, I stayed there for three or four years. And then I moved to CBRE. Um, I had another friend who I met while I was at Barnes Morris ask me what I wanted to do to the next step. And I wanted to go to a larger platform Barnes Morris was a fantastic local firm, but I really wanted to expand and do more deals nationally. So I transitioned to then what was called CB Richard Ellis. And so making that transition, was it, uh, did you feel like it was a seamless transition? Did you jump right in and say, oh, this is exactly where I, where I need to be? Well, I was really lucky because I joined a team with five other senior brokers. And so again, I was learning and earning at the same time. It wasn't easy because as you make a transition from one brokerage firm to another brokerage firm, it usually takes two or three years for that transition. Uh, and, but the senior brokers who I teamed with really exposed me to a lot of their deals, uh, a lot of their transactions, a lot of their clients. And so I was able to reduce that two or three year period to a much shorter time. And there, it's a great group of, uh, of, of men and women on that team. And so I learned a great deal uh, from that. And so earlier, so at, during that time, was there a specific asset type or class that, that you felt the most 
uh, comfortable with? For Ernie Jarvis, personally, I want it to be downtown. I look at downtown commercial real estate as uh, an, an office asset class as playing, playing, playing for the Yankees. Now, mm. other people have other paths who do phenomenally well. But for me, as a native Washingtonian, being downtown was sort of my Super Bowl. Uh, and I really enjoyed the challenges of it. Uh, I don't think that anybody says they love cold calling, but I was a cold caller in my early career. But I had the advantage of being of, of home court advantage, if you will. I knew the geography. I knew the streets. I knew a lot of people. I grew up here. Uh, and so it was a fantastic start. One of the one of the things that you've alluded to a couple of times and, and the name of this the show is Tools, Talents and Techniques. I feel like in your experience that you identified your talents, the things that 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 you're good at and you found uh you know different techniques to use your use your talents in a way and in a market that was advantageous. So that that's fantastic. And I feel like a lot of times when I speak with people that are just starting out in this industry and, and trying to find their way and figure out what what's the best opportunity for them is that that's a challenge for a lot of people is that is like, what what are my strengths what do i like to do and where can i add the most value but it sounds like you found that early on dustin i was really lucky and i again i use the word i stumbled into this because my father had a boating friend uh, mm -hmm. and um that's how i, I got in uh, but I stumbled in it and I liked it and I enjoyed it and I wanted to be successful at it. So I worked hard at it. Uh, from that point, when I came up the ranks at then CBRE, uh, I think this was 2008, 2009, because CBRE is publicly traded, uh, they need a succession plan for every market. And I knew the DC market. So I got tapped to go to an emerging leaders program uh, where the company showed you how uh, to run an office, the, the, the financials of running an office, the P&L of running an office, personnel issues, business line issues. It was really the full management of a large company. DC is the fourth largest commercial real estate market in the country behind New York, Chicago, LA. Uh, and then um, to have an opportunity to come back after learning about the company and learning about the DC office, I was really flattered and, and really excited uh, when I was tapped to be the managing director of the DC office, where I managed 62 brokers, 13 different business lines. Uh, it was quite a challenge. We were living in a constrained time. And so we had cost containment initiatives, uh, certainly because of the financial crisis from 08 to 10, 2002, excuse me, 2010, 2011. But I had the advantage of having the federal government based here. And so the federal government was really active in lease acquisitions. And we had a lease, uh, GSA leasing team. Uh, the federal government spent many millions and billions of dollars creating new agencies like TARP uh, and, and others. And so our Washington office flourished uh, when the rest of the market was um, um, losing steam and not very active because we had the power of the federal government. I wish that was the case now, but that's a different story. We'll get to that one. So that's how I, I ended up at uh, at CBRE, and uh, what a great experience. And 
having P&L responsibility for a major U.S. city. And at the time, uh, I think that I was the only African-American to have P&L responsibility for a major U.S. city at one of the five or six major companies. And so I was very proud of that. Well, so in that, what, one of the things that, that I've realized in, in my experience is that sometimes what makes people really good at sales does not necessarily make them a good manager uh, yeah. of an office of, or a leader of people. It was, was that, can you talk about your experience there of making that transition from, you know, running and gunning to, to leading a team? Yeah, it, it was, it was a, quite a transition. I'll tell you the, the first meeting I had, and I was, I don't really get nervous in front of talking to people, but there were 70 people in this particular conference room at CBRE. And uh, I came in and we had food and it was a big breakfast and I was gonna make a big deal about it. So one of the senior brokers was sitting across the room and he was kind of a jokester. So he called another of our colleagues in the meeting and the colleague answered the phone and he kept on saying, hello, hello, hello. And so the whole room erupted when the other senior broker showed everyone the phone. It was he that was disrupting my meeting. Uh, and so I told him that I was going to put a letter in his HR file and then we would have to come back and visit that. But the difference is when you're managing people in, in, in comparison or in contrast to a broker, I saw something many years ago. I was watching the State of the Union address, and I won't mention what president it was, but I, I noticed that when the president of the United States said something, half the Congress stood up and cheered. The other just sat on their hands. And so I noted that if the president of the United States can't get um, the, the, the attention and the support of the United States Congress, how am I going to get the support of all of our brokers. But I tell you what I noticed and respected this president, he had a vision for the country. I had a vision for our office. And he said, you may not agree with me, but follow me, here's where we're going. And then he moved forward. He ignored all the naysayers. He, all, he ignored all the congressional members who hissed, but he had a goal and objective and he knew what he, where he wanted to take the country. I knew where I wanted to take the office and the company, and I knew what was required um, for me uh, in my roles and responsibility. And so that's what I executed. So you have to have a vision, you have to have a plan, and then you move forward. You bring in your stakeholders and you hope that they will follow you and agree with you, but nevertheless, you march forward. When you talk about that, and let's let's call that your, you know, your your north star. Like you, you know, you have this, and this is the direction you're going. Where where do you feel like you got that from? Well, that's very interesting. So we're in Washington, and so I'm exposed to a lot of elected leaders who have a vision, and they have to get buy-in from their stakeholders who are voters, and they have to do that every two years or every four years or every six years, depending on uh, what type of elected office you have. I grew up in a political um, household. My mother was a six-term elected city council member. And so, one, I learned very early to feel comfortable speaking in front of a lot of people. That is a tremendous skill set, especially if you're in the brokerage business. Two, you have to have a message. And in your message, there's got to be a point. 
And the point of, of, of our what we do for our clients is to serve our clients. That's my purpose is to serve is to serve our clients and make sure at that time that our brokerage professionals had all the resources and they, that would enable them to really support and serve our clients. You alluded to your family and kind of growing up in that atmosphere. Can you talk a little bit about that? Some of the, some of the other accomplishments of your family and, and how that became ingrained in, in who you are? Sure. So my um, grandfather's name was Dr. Charles Drew. Uh, he was trained as a surgeon and he is most well known um, as a blood plasma pioneer. 1940s in the United States was a much different time for people of color. It was during legalized segregation. So when we were in World War II, we were losing thousands and the Allied troops are losing thousands of soldiers due to the fact that blood couldn't be taken or transported to the battlefield. So, because it needed to be refrigerated. In his research, Dr. Drew noted that if you separate the whole blood from the red blood cells, the remaining liquid is plasma. Plasma didn't need to be refrigerated. Uh, and so he was able to start the blood bank for Britain and then the American Red Cross blood bank. Think about the accomplishments for a man of color in 1940 America during legal segregation. He wasn't able to travel with some of his other colleagues, though he was he was able to travel, but he couldn't stay in the same hotel and the same eating in the same facilities because he was a person of color, though he drove uh, and directed all of the blood studies. Um, he quit the American Red Cross because the armed forces in the United States wanted to segregate blood. And he said that there shouldn't be any segregation of human blood other than blood type, certainly not race. It's the same blood. So he resigned from the American Red Cross and he did some other really important studies as well. But the thing that I take away from him is he had a, um, his mantra was performance of excellence shall overcome any artificial barriers created by man. Performance of excellence shall overcome any artificial barriers created by man. I take that with me every day. Brokerage is a tough business. We have clients who are challenging. We have industry colleagues who are challenging. Uh, there have been some artificial barriers in our industry. We are collectively working to change that, but the, the, the excellence of performance uh, sh shall overcome any artificial barriers created by man. That makes a lot of sense to me. I have to ask you what, and, and that this is, this is fantastic. Thank you for sharing that insight. What does excellence mean to you? Well, I heard another thing, um, uh, another expression. Character is synonymous with excellence to me. Character is doing the right thing when nobody is looking. Uh, and I try to do that, whether it is interacting with friends or with clients, with my colleagues, my new colleagues here at Savills, with my industry colleagues. And I'm very involved in the community because I believe to whom much is given, much is required. And so that's the pursuit of excellence, 
really maximizing the gifts that you have, working hard. These are be basic fundamental things that we take for granted some take for granted often. Working hard, integrity, um, um, leaving it on the court, if you will. That that sort of defines that determination of excellence, but you have to help somebody as well. There's, a, I, I say all these expressions, but the one that I, I like the most, it says that we exist temporarily through what we take. We live forever through what we give. One of the reasons why I came to Savills is because I was an army of one and it, the platform wasn't big enough. And so in that pursuit of excellence, I want to be able to help more people. This company gives me the platform to help more people. I can help my clients. I can help um, the industry. I can help the city. Uh, and so I want to be known as a good real estate professional, but I also want to be known as somebody who gave their time, not treasure, but time and treasure. And, you know, and congratulations again on, on your recent appointment to Savills and uh, what, a, what a great segue because what I know of what you bring to the table, I know they're thrilled to have you on the team. Could you talk more about th that decision? I know you were Army One and you came there, but what, what did that decision look like and what were those conversations before you came on, on board? Um, that's uh, thank you. That's a great question, and and I'm excited to answer that one because Dustin, you and I have had a number of conversations about the lack of diversity in the industry, and I was a very vocal and visible advocate about uh, the industry. And so when I talked to some of the largest companies, and I was thinking about going in because again I wanted a larger platform, uh, I had a relationship with Mitch Rutten, who is the CEO of CBRE. I met Mitch many years ago when he was the president of the tri-state region at CBRE. And so I'll, Mitch was the founding uh, executive of the African-American network networking group at CBRE. And so I, I met him with a, a colleague who passed not long ago, was a great loss to me personally named Eric Yarbrough. And so um, I called Mitch and we started to talk about it and it just felt authentic. Um, Mitch has a commitment to not only racial diversity, but gender diversity as well. And he told me, and it was kind enough to share with me his plans. And I said, this is a place where I could feel comfortable. Um, I didn't get here by myself. Many, many people helped me, many people. And I stood on their shoulders. And because I stood on their shoulders, I have the reciprocal responsibility of living my life so that other people can stand on my shoulders. It's called the quid pro quo of life. And so here, um, now that's not original, Vernon Jordan said that, so I will give Mr. Jordan credit for it, but I, I, I believe it wholeheartedly. Uh, but here, it's, it feels different to me. Um, it's a global company, but it's got the intimacy of knowing all of your colleagues, getting to know what they're good at, how I can be helpful, how they can be helpful to me, what they do on the weekends. I worked in a large company environment and it's CBREs is, is, is wonderful and I had a great time there, but Savills doesn't try to be all things to everyone. 
they're very good at tenant representation and other lines of business like that. Um, so I thought it was a match made, it was perfect for me to transition to. And I can tell you that the people have been just wonderful to me thus far. So that that's fantastic. Sounds like you you landed in, in a great spot. And again, they they got uh, a wonderful addition in bringing you on. Now, I don't want to um, bury the lead, or, or I guess the elephant in the room is the commercial real estate industry, and um, you know, especially specifically the office the office uh, product in commercial real estate that's facing headwinds and some real challenges. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on what's going on in the market and what what we could do, what anyone can do to to help things? Yeah, it, it's very good. You know, I, I listened um, and I follow Jamie Dimon on, um, on 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 Twitter and um, on LinkedIn. And Jamie Dimon, of course, is the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, the largest bank. And Jamie Dimon said last week that he wanted managing directors and above to come into the office, right? During the banking industry's volatility, I think that you will see more people like Jamie Dimon's directive, if you will. Then the CEO of, of Goldman Sachs follow um, and, and, and another person. Now, this is going to take some time. In Washington, we would love it if President Biden mandated the federal government workers go back to work. Uh, but this is an election year and we're not sure how that will be received. So in our market and across the country, we're, we're going to assume that the federal government's not going to come back to the office. My sense is that as the economy slows and there's more discussion about recessions, CEOs, president levels, executive directors, managing partners of law firms are going to say, we need to be in the office. We need to see one another. There is the socialization part of it. There's the productivity part of it. There is, is the, um, the collegiality part of it, the creativity part of it. If you are new in an industry, whether it be tech or commercial real estate or consulting, if I were a younger person, I would want to see my CEO every day and not just be an anonymous person on a Zoom. I want to build the relationship. I want to look for a mentor. The onboarding process is going to go smoother. So while I'm an advocate of the return to the office, I'm a realist in understanding that a lot of people don't want to return to the office and companies are, start, are still trying to figure out their strategies about the hybrid way. Are we coming in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and not coming in Thursday or Friday, or some kind of combination of that? And companies are going through that strategy, those strategy sessions now. I'm not sure what will happen, but my it, it seems to me in life and in history, the pendulum swings to extremes. My sense is post-COVID, we're in an extreme. And when it comes back to equilibrium, I think that we'll have some kind of hybrid working for some industries, technology, other stuff, uh, other similar industries. If you are in the professional services industry, I think you're going to come to the office. I think if you're in the financial industry, you, you'll come to the office. Um, so my sense is our we have about 50% of people coming back into the office now across the country, plus or minus. My sense is third and fourth quarter, that's going to tick up. 
with the softening of the re- of the economy. Yeah, you, you touched on a couple of things there, and I, I want to make sure I put a pin. And you talk about the the mentorship and the collegiality. There's so many things that you just can't replace. Uh, you know that that in person, it, it's I, I miss it a lot. You know, um, in my role, what I do, I, I partner with other people, and I, I have I do deals here and there, and and work. But it's there's not that that team camaraderie and being in the office and you know just talking about you know what's going on and sharing stories. There, there's no replacing that. And I think it, well, and then there's another aspect of this where you hear you know the the amounts of depression and you know the you know, society being in this loneliness, but then people, they, they, they go to their corner and they're, they're siloed and they're themselves. But a lot of that, I don't want to put too much on being in the, in the office to be the, the magic pill here, but a lot of that's resolved, but just coming together and having those, those type of connections that you get in the office. Well, Dustin, that's a great point because, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the proverbial water cooler conversation in the brokerage industry, we're in the industry of, of of sharing information and get, getting information and getting market information and being armed with that, that helps our clients a lot. I'm not sure how you do that if you're on Zoom or with somebody called the Hollywood Squares, right? It is going from office to office and, and just talking to people in a 36 second conversation. What do you think about this? Or oh, I heard this, or I saw somebody at lunch. Those things you can glean in person. I'm not sure how you do that in a virtual environment. And, and the the camaraderie, the building of of trust, and getting to really know somebody. Uh, there, there's no replacing it. That's that's the only way. It's the only way. Yeah. One one of my favorite books came out ten or fifteen years ago uh, by Keith Verazzi, I believe it is. It says, "Never eat lunch alone." Right. I took that to heart. Terrible for my weight, but that's how you <laughs> develop relationships. That's where you talk about things. Right? If you're downtown or the suburbs and, and, and you're in the office and you, and you have lunch with people, that is important, an important part of the whole social process. I would submit that people inherently want to be close to people and want to be talk and want to talk to people. Not everyone. But I think there's a natural need or natural desire for people to interact with one another. Absolutely. I mean, we're no doubt about it. We are social creatures. You know, yeah. we're we're engineered for it, if you will. A- yeah, we a- absolutely. And so um, it's interesting. I came from a lunch today where former Congressman Patrick Kennedy talked about it, and he was very honest and candid about some of his addiction problems and mental health problems. Uh, He talked about the effects of social media and COVID on younger people and the amount of anxiety and depression younger people are are experiencing. I think, I'm not a psychiatrist or neuroscience, that that's in large part because of the isolation during COVID, coupled with the, the social media activity. It, it all it all plays a role. What percentage of the pie each one contributes, but it all contributes to the problem. Exactly right. Now, that's easier said than done. And when I have two kids who are in college and I say, put your phone down, and they look at me like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and both of them are bigger. One of my kids is six foot eight. And so I'm, when I say that to him, he looks at let me like, oh, try to take my phone from me. And, and so it, it is the simple things of texting 
family members when we were at home, right? If they text me and they say, what's for dinner? I go, you got to come upstairs and talk to me, right? Mm. So the, the phone is a great convenience, but I think there's some challenges with it. Sure. And so, so one of the things that you just, again, you, you alluded to your, your, uh, your boys. And so do they, they both play college? I know one plays basketball for sure, right? One plays uh, basketball, one runs track. Okay. And yeah. so you're the one that plays basketball. Did he, did I just see that he is transferring to uh, Florida? Well, he, he graduates from Yale next week. And because of COVID, he's got an extra year of eligibility. So he's taking that extra year of eligibility and uh, he's going to become a Gator and play in the SEC. He, no, he didn't transfer. I mean, if he transferred, then I would kill him. Uh, but no, he, <laughs> he, he's graduating and he's going to go play and, and test his skill in, in the SEC. And if he plays well there, maybe he'll try to go pro or go to Europe. But no, um, yeah, he had to finish Yale first. Okay, and the and the other one runs track. What what school does uh, he run for? Uh, runs track at Oberlin. Okay, all right. Yep. Well, congrats. That that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm a big fan of HBCUs, but um, both of my kids decided that they wanted to go to other places, and so I learned very quickly uh, that uh, their mother had more influence on them than I do. <laughs> well, okay, so let, let let's. I would love to talk about this because you earlier on in the conversation, you mentioned lack of diversity in commercial real estate. And then, you know, your son goes to Yale. Was there anything in those conversations of him going to, I, I'm again, I don't know how the, the lack of diversity is at Yale, but I'm imagining there it's, it's something there. Um, is that something that he ever expressed a, a challenge for either that situation or anywhere else? Uh, he, he really didn't. Um, but because of his height and skill, he played AAU basketball and traveled around the country. I think we went to 27 cities while he was in high school. Uh, and so he really saw a di diverse group of kids, not only racially, but from e different economic backgrounds. And so because of athletics, neither one of them really felt like they weren't exposed to all types of diversity all types of different perspective, all types of different cultures. Uh, and so it was athletics that gave them more of a wider view instead of kind of the homogenous area mm -hmm. in which we grew up. It was yeah. really through athletics. Yeah, that, that's that's something that, that I'm realizing. And also to the point of that that camaraderie of the teamwork and getting to know people outside of it because i know with uh i know my son i have a nine-year-old son and he plays just about every sport but meeting like being around the other parents and sharing that time and those experiences together the highs and the lows um you know that's special too again that goes back to that connection and why that's so important best part of my life is when i'm at a basketball game or a track meet Mm. Right. But it, it is it is the thing that I like the most. I'll tell you the story of the dash. I heard many years ago there was a fellow who passed away and I was at the church and the pastor was talking about the fragility of life and how we don't really have control of that. And so on this fellow's tombstone, there was a date he was born and a date that he died. In between those two dates is a dash. It's up to us to fill up that dash. I'm halfway through my dash. Fortunately, you haven't gotten there yet. And so while I want to be known as a 
um, a leader in commercial real estate and I want to be a leader in the brokerage industry and I want to be successful and have all of the things that success entails. At the end of the day, I look at, was I a good father, right? Did I show up? Was I there? Did I help others in the community who may not have had the same upbringing as I did? Who did I help? How did I help them? Was it material? In other words, we want to be memorable somehow other than the amount of square footage leased. As an example, I have a couple of colleagues, Wendy Feltman Block, who is uh, well known in the health and wellness um, um, category of brokerage. Uh, I have, have other people, uh, Adam Singer, who has diabetes, but he dedicated himself to JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Those are the type of things that I think are important to me in building my dash. Well, you know what, and what we, we, I think that's fantastic. But one of the things that I'm starting to realize, cause I'm, I'm in my early forties and I'm starting, you know, you're seeing more people pass and, you know, just in, in life in general. And it's like, well, no one really knows how long that dash is. So you don't try to make that impact and do the things that you love and spend the time wisely while you're here. Uh, and I think that's just so important and something that I think about fairly often. Yeah, I, I think I think about it all because there is a certain fragility of life when we're not here forever. We're here just for a moment of time. And and it really is if you want to live forever, I'll take Vernon Jordan's statement again, if you want to live forever, you live forever through what you give. That makes a lasting mark. You know, you wouldn't be memorable. You want to make your life mean something. Now, I have colleagues who want to focus on being the absolute best brokerage professional they they can be. And I think that's fine. But I think each person has a different code or a different sensibility or different goals in their life. As an African-American, I think that it is incumbent upon me to try to figure out how to get more people of color in our industry. When I started here many, many years ago, 27, 28 years ago, there were two brokers of color, Willard Freeman, who's at Cushman and Wakefield, and Herman Bulls, who's still at JLL. Fast forward 27 years, there may be 20, right? So that's like 1.1 per year in a city that's 50% African-American. This is a very collegial industry. I don't think it is intentional or overt racism. I just don't think that we know about it. It's not, it, if it hasn't been taught in HBCUs in the past. There was nothing like, you know, Project REAP and uh, Cedric Bobo's organization and others are fairly new organizations. I mean, that maybe in the last five, 10 years. So we are really, as a community, new to commercial real estate. Uh, and I'm just happy to be, um, I'm happy to be in it, but I'm happy to contribute to it as well. You mentioned a couple of organizations, uh, Cedric Bobo's organization, Project Destin. Project they're doing Destin, yeah. they're they're doing amazing work. Uh, yeah. Project Reap, doing fantastic work. Um, a Rep, all their chapters, and and Kim Brown and what she's doing. She's you know, doing every, a great job. I love her energy. Uh, she's fantastic. And one of the things of like what I'm realizing is that nobody has to do it 
alone either. Right. Like everyone has her and, and the way that all the organizations and even a lot of the, the corporations that are, that are helping and the individuals are all helping. And I think to your point about exposure, that a big problem is that we don't know about it. Um, and again, I didn't, I wasn't exposed to commercial real estate until I was, I want to say 28 years old. Right. Till I, till I was like, Oh wait, what is this? This fits like what, what I think I, I would want to, I want to give this a shot. You know, I think it fits my personality and my, my work ethic. Um, so that's become one of my goals is, is not only to help expose this industry to, to people that can make a meaningful existence out of it, um, feed their families by, by working in the industry. Uh, but another thing, and part of the reason why I, I wanted to introduce the show is that I want to highlight some of the successes of, of, of everybody that I meet. I meet so many fantastic people and I want to be able to put people on a stage and shine a light and show the good work that people are doing. Well, Dustin, I'm going to shine the light on you because I am, um, I haven't known you well, but I find you to be super impressive. And I just want to thank you uh, for your leadership in establishing the Black Commercial Real Estate Network. Uh, I saw recently, and I forgot the number that you were on uh, in terms of members and, and, and your reach, but you were really reaching a lot of people. And it is the efforts of me and you and others, and collectively we'll be able to advance this. But I think you've just done a, a great job with the Black Commercial Real Estate Network. Well, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, that does mean a lot. Uh, but again, no one does it alone. So, you know, Dareth Jarvis of JLL, I mean, he, he's been doing amazing things. Um, so yeah, shout out Dareth. Um, the, our board of advisors, always helpful, always helping, um, you know, put us in front of the right people and make the best decisions for, for everybody. So it's been, it's been a terrific experience. And you know, another thing that, that I've realized is that creating the network or starting the network came out of a place of frustration. Um, I didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to about some of these things. So it really came out of a, of a place of wanting that community and somebody to, to talk to. And it's opened so many lines of communication with people that are well-intentioned, good people, like even this conversation that we're having right now, and to be able to have these conversations and, and to pull information in ways that we can make a positive impact on this world. And again, the whole world. I feel like these things and, and these, uh, these conversations, these actions that we take reverberate, and they have an impact on so many lives and communities. It's just, it's just fantastic. But I guess, you know, the net net here is that sometimes you just have to start. You just have to right. realize how you feel and what you think and just take that first step. And when the students are ready, the master will appear. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And, and you kind of alluded to it that you didn't know about commercial real estate. And now you are, I don't want to call you an emerging leader in it. You're a leader in it. And so given the opportunity and given the, the capabilities that you have and the ambition and drive, you're establishing yourself as a leader in the industry. And so um, I think that is wonderful because someone will be interviewing you on their podcast in the next couple of years. And then you can talk about how you started the Black Commercial Real Estate Network and why it was important at the time um, that, that was really spawned out of a, a feeling of frustration on the heels of the murder of George Floyd 
and so a lot of us are looking at DEI issues now and DEI commitments from companies. And I hope that they won't wane away, but corporate America gets a hot item every couple of years. My sense is though, ESG is now becoming on the forefront and DEI, it comes under the S in ESG. I hope that won't dilute DEI because we really have made some progress. Under the age of 25, I think that's where we see the most progress. Uh, Savills has a junior broker program that is very diverse and committed to being diverse, not only in race, but gender. And the commitment of the CEO uh, is going to uh, help in continuing that even doing, during recessionary times. But we all have to know that this is could be temporary. We, we, we see that DEI is under fire um, in the state of Florida. Uh, where Governor DeSantis has said that he doesn't want to have any DEI initiatives. He doesn't want to teach or doesn't want it taught in public education schools. Uh, and so we can see that it's under attack. So we have to be galvanized. We have to continue spreading the gospel, if you will, about the importance of diversity, but it's really the importance of perspective. I think what you've done in your career and how you've done it and you know sure there's got dei is going to be um you know it's, it's going to ebb and flow it's going to be but it's we know it's important we we know it is and and what you've done in your career you are you are already blazing um a trail and a path and part of you know, I, I feel like I never saw anybody in commercial real estate that, that really looked like me at any high level. And so part of this and opening, you know, looking behind the curtain and seeing folks such as yourself and, and what you've done and how you and how you've done it and how you carry yourself and what you find important. I, I just I, I just thank you so much for um, for always being available and for for just being you, man. You're, you, you've been doing some amazing things and I, and I really appreciate it. Well, well, thank you. I, I am to whom much is given, much is required. And I really do believe that. So if I can ever be helpful to you, um, the door is always open or the phone, phone is always on. Yeah, well, well, you already have been. And I know it's not just me speaking. I know there's countless other people that, that feel that way. Uh, so I, I want to be respectful of your time and make sure that um, that that. If there's anything else that you want to share about whether whether it's Savills and what you're doing or you your personal, what your goals are, is there anything you want to share with the listeners? You, you know, I guess I'm getting to be over the hill, sort of, but not yet. I'm not ready to retire. But someone asked me the other day, what's your re what do you regret in your career? And there's only really one thing that I regret, that I didn't buy a some type of real estate each year that I've been in the business doesn't have to be a downtown office building. It could be a two unit flat. It could be a four unit apartment. It could be um, a small strip center. It could be a 2000 square foot retail building. But I regret that I didn't buy at least one per year because we, we certainly have the intellectual capital to do that. We are gaining more access to the financial capital of doing that. Other communities put their nickels in and if they put two nickels in, they consider it a quarter and they leverage that. We can do that. 
And so if I had any regrets, it was only that, but no other regrets. Well, that that's amazing. But one of the things that this ties all this together is you being able to share that with people that say, oh, yeah, then maybe it's something that I can do. Then you're you're this is another way of you giving back and giving that, that knowledge. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, hey, listen, Ernie, thank you so much. I appreciate all the time that you've been gracious enough to, to share. Um, in in the show notes, I'll, I'll have more about your bio and, and how to get in contact with you and Savills. But again, thank you. Congratulations on all your success and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Dustin. Let's do stay in touch. Let's make a commitment to doing so. Okay, sounds good. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques podcast. We hope you found the conversation insightful and engaging. And if you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your network. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode as we continue to bring you inspiring discussions with industry leaders and pioneers. Stay connected to the latest insights, trends, and strategies across various fields from business and entrepreneurship to technology and innovation. Your support is vital in helping us reach more listeners and expand our community. So don't forget to leave a review and share your feedback. We appreciate your input and are committed to delivering valuable content that empowers and inspires. To stay updated on future episodes, be sure to follow us on either LinkedIn or our website, suttonrea.com. You can also find us on most podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Thank you for being part of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques community. We look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations and valuable insights in the future. Until then, keep exploring, learning, and applying these tools, talents, and techniques to achieve your own success.